Welcome back to part two of our lecture series here with Professor Brent Williams here at the Apartment Academy in your ongoing pursuit of your uh, degree in multifamily science. Last time we talked about uh, what's happening in multifamily with respect to maintenance staff and how you can try to do more with less. Today we're going to talk generally speaking about what's happening in the multifamily industry with respect to uh, staff shortfalls and retention. Um, it's really giving uh, operators uh, a headache right now. And, um, and Brent's group over there with Multifamily Insiders did a survey that is really shedding some light on what's really at the core of what might be causing your folks to leave your company. So stand by if you want to learn more about that. Okay, well, welcome back. This is uh, this is part two of our of our lecture series here with uh, Professor Williams talking about some of the highlights of recent discussions over at the Multifamily Insiders, and we talked just a little bit about um, we talked about maintenance and uh, how there's a there's a shortage of maintenance workers right now, and how you can do more with less. But there is just generally speaking um, a crunch in our industry surrounding hiring. Certainly maintenance, but it extends, I think, all the way up and down the food chain. And Multifamily Insiders did a great, um, it did some research on this and published a great report. And I think this would be great to talk about, Brent. So talk a little bit about what you guys discovered that's happening out there. We have a, a ton of, of takeaways we found in this research. You know, I, I think of the, we've done, done research studies for years on different topics from, you know, marketing to staffing to uh, leasing, uh, um, budget issues. This one I think might've been the most illuminating to really get into the minds of how people view their jobs and if they're satisfied and what's really driving them to either stay or leave. Um, it is really interesting to just see their bare souls out in their responses hmm. on, uh, on what their satisfaction level is in multifamily. This was uh was this a uh, tell tell us how a little bit how you did um the, the research was this a survey anonymous survey let's talk a little bit about that right yeah so survey they can enter their information but we never publish it just for distribution purposes um and yeah we we push it out and try to get people from both the um employer side as well as the the employee side to understand their both perspectives and What's going to be, we'll talk about this today, but what you'll find is that the perspectives don't always match. So what the mm. employers are thinking is important, it may be true to some degree, but it's only part of the story. And, and I have reason to believe they're not actually being told the whole truth by their employees. And we'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Okay. So let's start with uh, just top down. What what are the where are the areas that the industry is seeing the most difficulty in recruiting sure yeah so uh we saw that the number one difficulty or the, okay, let's see this the number one uh job title that people are that companies are understaffed with is maintenance that should be no surprise to anybody um we had it uh clocked in at 77 percent of companies were short-staffed in maintenance and which is interesting because uh, as we talked last episode, uh, Mark Kopro had uh, he tied at seventy five percent. So it's just right in line. We're gonna we're gonna see a lot of of convergences with what Mark was saying 
uh, in his in his webinar on being short staffed in maintenance to what we saw in our separate research. Um, the 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 top three uh, positions uh, difficulty in positions to to fill were uh, maintenance techs, maintenance supervisors, and then porters. And then the, the fourth, I believe, was leasing consultants. Was the, the top three were all maintenance related. So 77% reported they were short on the maintenance side. Uh, how about, so the last, the fourth role you mentioned, leasing, what was what was the percent of companies that reported they were short-staffed on, on leasing? I believe it was 57%. Yeah, so still pretty significant. More than half, more than half of companies yeah. are impacted yeah. in both of those areas. Um, so you, there's been a lot of talk about the great resignation and people working from home um, impacting certain industries. That probably um, is not one of the factors happening here, at least on the maintenance side. Like no, no maintenance guy that was you know out in the field here is now working from home, and even even if he's left the industry. Um, what, what, why are people leaving then? So there's different ways to look at this. So what we did is we asked, um, employers, what did, what were their exit surveys telling them? And on their exit surveys, they told us that the number one reason was pay. Then, um, and actually I take it back. This is, this is not number one. This is what we in general, we saw on those re results. It wasn't exactly a number, but it, but it was kind of like the, we saw the uh -huh. most as pay. Uh -huh. And then we saw a lot on better opportunity and then less stress. But pay was clearly, if you look at the, the results, the, the response they gave us, pay was clearly what they were seeing the most in exit surveys. Now, what's really interesting is we're going to see a divergence between what, we're, what they're seeing in their exit surveys and what the team members are seeing when they talk about why they are considering possibly leaving. And, and, and we'll get to that in just a bit. Um, before we do that, what the employers are doing is they're taking that data and they're saying, okay, so now we feel that like they're leaving because of, of you know pay. And so they are taking, we asked them, well, what are you doing now? What are you, what are you doing to incentivize more applications? And they are doing kind of what you anticipate. They're uh, increasing pay. They're doing hiring bonuses. So two pay related items. Um, uh, something else I want to, I want to read real quick. Um, they said they tried to advertise the company like we would advertise a property or apartment, give reasons to work for XYZ apartments, not the job description and qualifications. I think that is so amazing. Uh, I think that is exactly what companies need to do. If you look at job listings, you'll see they are very much focused on weeding out people. They're like, well, how can we, you know, you know, here's your job responsibilities and here's the things that you need to have in order to apply. It's not focused on why should you be working for us? It's not aspirational. It's not, hey, this is an amazing place to work. Now, some companies do it better than others, obviously. And sometimes you'll see that type of language on their website. They'll have like a career section. It kind of goes into that. But if you look at the syndicated job postings that they're sending out on Indeed or wherever, you're not seeing that type of messaging. It's still focused on weeding people out versus trying to lure them in, which is a completely different approach to, to getting job, more job seekers. Mm -hmm. um, and one more thing, 
And this kind of ties back to our last our last podcast when we were talking about Mark Cookrow's um, event. Um, somebody said, uh, they're offering sign-on bonuses for certain positions, now offering toolkits for maintenance-related positions. So again, trying to say, hey, you know, come work for us, you gotta bring your own tools. I mean, that's just not gonna work a lot of times, especially if these people don't have experience. They're trying to get these people into the industry. They're not gonna have a whole tool, uh, all these tools already ready for them. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think the industry was content for a long time to be perceived as and to act as a commodity in that, you know, our, our the, 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 the people themselves didn't really matter. We were, you know, we collected the rent, we turned the wrench, and you know we did our job, and it and the person behind it didn't really matter that much. Uh, but when but now that we're having trouble attracting um, you know qualified, dedicated people to work for these for our companies, um, I think now you don't have that luxury anymore. And you and we hear on the apartment academy when we have operators come in and talk about what makes them different. What we what I think we would have heard five or ten years ago is. Um, attention to you know your NOI and we understand we have market domain knowledge and now it's not that it is we are we have the most amazing people we are people first culture uh, people 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 like there is some growing recognition that has been accelerated I think by you know COVID and 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 great resignation um, that now people have to pay attention to that stuff. But it's not pervasive yet, but you are seeing it uh, more often. I, I completely agree. Um, there, uh, Property management companies are now talking about culture. Anyway, never did. Not that long, five years ago, you never would have heard property management companies talking about culture. I think, it, and it's, a, it's a, a really good thing for the employees because recognition that culture matters is the first step in, in, um, in making a better, way of life for the people that work for you. Yeah, it's hard to create, you know, resident experience has also taken hold and it's hard to create a great resident experience when you don't have a great company culture and and, and an employee experience. Um, you know, it, if we treat our, our communities like commodities, we end up hiring, like you were saying, I, I love the way you put that. Like we, we have commodities as apartments and then we end up you know, treating our team members like commodities at the same time. And now it's becoming much more uh, fleshed out as far as that experience goes. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so so you're seeing a switch in talking. People are now attracting, trying to attract talent by talking about the the uh, the quality of the company and, and the culture of the company. Well, I'll say, though, that that was a, a kind of a, a one-off comment the the vast majority of comments that we were seeing were still ah. pay related and and don't get me wrong pay is still we're still struggling in that respect from a you know industry perspective um but that that is the as far as we can tell that is still the go-to number one approach to acquiring new talent is addressing the pay issue and there's others that are just kind of you know scratching around at the at the uh, any other, any other um, approaches that companies talked about to how they're sort of band-aiding around this problem? So, another kind of well, another question we asked, and it kind of refers to this: is we asked, has 
staffing shortages led you to centralize more of your on-site uh-huh. team functions. And I was actually shocked by this number. 51% said yes, where, I mean, my goodness, it wasn't that long ago that that would have been just single yeah. digits as far as centralization goes. We've, we've been talking about it for a long time about this idea that some of these functions shouldn't maybe necessarily be done on site, especially when you get into the assistant property man- management role. Um, you know, that, that not, not only does it make more sense to having some of those functions be centralized, but it also creates a much more, you know, logical career path. You know, when historically we've gone from leasing consultant to assistant property manager to property manager, you're shifting gears from a sales role to a, a, you know, kind of a bookkeeping role and it makes no sense. And so by taking that, some of those tasks and centralizing them, um, that's really, I mean, it's been on the tongues of, of our industry for a long time ago, for a long time, but we, we've never really seen that progression until now. And another, uh, I just had a conversation a few days ago with somebody who is saying that um, there's also a trend that they're seeing as far as pulling away the customer experience, customer service roles and the sales roles. You know, in our history, we've always kind of said, oh, we're a jack of all trades. And it's been a kind of a, people always think that's a good thing, right? Well, now it's kind of like that pulling apart of those two roles and and then when you have your sales roles pulled apart, then you can centralize that potentially if you have several properties in a given area where they can go and meet prospects by appointment at these different locations. And then you have your, you know, you fine tune your sales process uh, for those, those, those salespeople who are going to different properties. And hypothetically, then it gives them a different view every day. So they're not at the same property every day. They get to kind of hop around and that may lead to, you know, higher job satisfaction. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that was kind of a yeah. conversation. Yes. And what the rise of, of virtual leasing, which was a necessity at one point during, during COVID, um, while people were isolated, um, has really opened our eyes to the fact that as an industry, we, we used to be very locked into this this idea that um, you, you that people needed to connect personally with a person on site in order to lease a unit at that apartment. We used to say, you know, people we're selling people, not the apartment, right? People rent from people; they don't rent uh, they don't rent because of the apartment. But but it turns out that might not actually be true, and that certainly for um, class B and C assets where maybe there's not an expectation of luxurious, you know, catered living that, um, if you can display a unit virtually with the amenities and, and, and give them the information that they need about that, about that property and that unit without having it be in person that people will lease and they, they will lease at, at re at market rents. You don't have to give a discount because they didn't meet with a person and that is also has also opened the door to this this what you were saying this centralized centralization of the leasing function um uh which is very interesting now that we'll have to see what the net impact of the industry is but what what i would hope is that number one that leaves more budget for 
the, the maintenance guys because you're not replacing them, and 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 they need to be they need to be better compensated for the job that they do. Um, and secondly, I think that, and I think maybe maybe this is kind of what you were, you were alluding to, splintering off kind of the customer service component of what's always been embedded into both the leasing agent and the community manager or assistant manager, just the customer service piece um, could be centralized as well. And now you can make room for somebody who's dedicated to that. Maybe they're shared between multiple properties, but it's somebody whose expertise is dealing with angry, irate people, and which, which unfortunately is a big part of the job. So both of those things I think would, would help make our industry a little bit better as, as those are adopted. Absolutely. I mean, we just had a, uh, um, oh shoot, what, what was it? We had to do so many different things like blogs and webinars and whatnot. Um, there was a question about how many different tasks do, or how many different systems do our onsite teams have to deal with? And it kind of relates to tasks as well. Like, you know, it's amazing how many systems there are right now and they're trying to juggle all these things. And being a jack of all trades is becoming almost impossible from that perspective. You know, I, when I was on site, I was, you know, creating leases and I'm just, I, I, even at the time I thought, well, this is just crazy that I would be creating my own leases because it doesn't, creating a lease is not in the wheelhouse of somebody who does great customer service and is not in the wheelhouse of somebody who does great sales. Neither of those. And so there are things that we can absolutely get more specified um, skill sets involved and, and making a better experience. So, okay, so you teased us a little that the, the, the companies were thinking, hey, this is all about pay. It sounds like you learned something different. Yes, yes. And so this is really interesting. Let me, let me walk through a few things that we learned and, I'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to the, the meat of it. Um, so the first thing is we asked, you know, how, uh, let's see, please rate how you are feeling about the following aspects of your job, okay? And one of the things that we noticed was, and I think that if, if anybody listening right now, they've seen enough Amazon reviews, they, there's different different ways the data, you can you can visualize the data, right? And so sometimes you have a product that has, you know, the highest ratings are at five and it is has a slow, consistent progression down to one rating. So hopefully it's a good product, it has the most ratings are five, and then it, as you get down to one, there's not that many. Sometimes you'll see though, there is a start high ratings at five, and then it goes down, but then there's an uptick when you get to the one, which means that people have a very, very strong opinion, both either positive or negative. And we found three different categories that um, had had that kind of um, the strongest looking, you know, graph that looked like that. And that was company culture, corporate management, and resident interactions. So, and, and so for some of those categories, the rating for very negative was 17 to 20%, which is pretty high. So we're seeing things and like, you know, company culture, corporate management and resident, resident interactions, none of those are pay, right? And so then what we did is we cross-referenced, actually, let me, let me back up. We asked people, how likely are you to leave your job in the next year, okay? 13% said very likely, 26% said somewhat likely, 61% said not likely. Okay, so 39% said somewhat or very likely to leave. We cross-referenced that with these different aspects of having a job in 
property management. And we found that for those who are most likely to leave in the, in the next year, here were the, the lowest rated um, satisfaction levels for these three, these three different things. Corporate management, career advancement opportunities, and corporate culture. The fourth was pay. So pay was still an issue. So don't get me wrong thinking that, oh, we're okay if we fix these other things, we don't have to pay. We still have to pay more in this industry. Yep. However, they were pay was not in the top three of issues. And let's let's go back in time. Let's talk about what those exit surveys, what we saw from that. Again, this is not, the exit surveys wasn't a percentage response, but what we saw most was pay was the top thing we saw. And then when they were talking about what am I going to do to get more applications, I'm going to pay more and do hiring bonuses. So there's a disconnect in how corporate is seeing what the issue is versus people are seeing what their issues are. And it's very possible that when people are doing exit surveys, that they're not feeling comfortable with saying that their biggest issues are with corporate management and company culture, for example, because that's not something comfortable to talk about, but pay might be comfortable, but companies are definitely getting the wrong perspective on what might the issue be, at least from what we saw in this study. So there's a lot of issues that the companies need to work on that are completely outside of pay that they may not be looking at right now. Do you have any, and do you have any color on what that means, corporate management? Like, or have you had anyone talk about what that means? To a certain degree, people identify what they think it means of themselves. You put out a, a, uh, a survey and, and we don't give like a definition necessarily. So it's, it could be different for every single person. Um, I, I would imagine that it's, it's a, it's a disconnect between the onsite teams and and their goals and their communication with corporate management and that they're not either feeling supported. There's a lot of different things it could mean, but it's definitely a disconnect with corporate management. In my experience that, um, and I've heard this, I've heard this, you know, when, when I, when I'm on your, your webinars, um, there's a active vibrant chat that's usually happening at the same time people are talking about the speaker participating actively with the speaker saying elaborating further and um i have seen a theme and 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 you have i would say you obviously would know better than me but my impression is that the folks that are on those webinar wednesdays 80 percent of them are in the field are, are on site at properties probably and so i've seen dialogue from them surrounding this matter you know the disconnect between what corporate thinks is happening in the field and what's actually happening in the field. And I think I, I, what, what I think the, the biggest issue is, is that f folks at the corporate level have not always been in the field. And, um, and the perception of what's happening and, and the overwhelming amount of things that the folks in the field have to juggle is, does, does not translate up to the corporate level. Um, and so, there's a misunderstanding. There's not enough support provided to the folks on site in terms of, you know, not having the right tool, not having the right software, not having um, the right training, because 
you know, the, the, the cart goes down the road, right? And people rent no matter, and, and sometimes irrespective of the good or bad job that the corporate seems to be doing. And yet the people are suffering under, uh, under all of that. And, um, you don't always have a corporate culture that supports those people speaking up and saying something about it. Not always. Although I'll say the flip side of that, which is when I, if I put my software hat on, um, uh, you know, uh, for, for years or especially early on trying to sell technology into the business. One thing that we did hear quite often is that the corp, that, that corporate staff were reticent to do anything that might upset folks in the field. Like, you know, any change, like change management to them was really hard because they didn't, they did not want to upset the apple cart. Um, but that's not, that's like sort of treating these folks with kid gloves in a way they don't need to. They need to be engaged. They want they want people to try to make their lives easier. They want to, I think they 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 want to be challenged. They want to do a good job. They all, everybody that's in this business cares a lot about their job. You couldn't stand it otherwise. If you didn't, if you really didn't care about what you're doing and the people that you were serving at those properties, you, would, you could never stay in this business more than one week. So you have people that deeply care about what they're doing, um, but corporate doesn't always know how to support them, I think, or is sort of too scared to get out there and, and kind of stir things up and try to make things better because status quo is better than somebody turning in their resignation. And kind of building on what you were saying, you know, even if they were on site, it's changed so much in the past five years. I mean, I've worked on site and my experience is just so unrelated to, to what people go through right now. Um, because there's so many more things going on. There's so many things that have juggled. The residents are are much angrier now than they used to be because the world is a challenging place right now. And so I think that there is, it's very easy to lose sight of or not understand really what, um, uh, what on-site teams are facing. And in fact, I was trying to bring it up real quick. Um, so I, I did a poll um, on I think the multifamily share space that asked uh, how ambitious community members were in multifamily with a range from one to five. And I really wanna get a sense for like how people are, you know, raring to go in multifamily in their own career. But something kind of took a tangent on that poll because I left the ability to add uh, your own option, okay? And somebody wrote in an option that says, used to be ambitious, used to be ambitious, but the industry isn't as rewarding as it used to be. And now that poll question wasn't an initial poll question. So it got added later, which means that not everybody saw it initially when they had the chance to, to answer the poll. Even though it got added later, 24% of people ended up answering that response. That's not as rewarding mm. as it used to be. I think, frankly, Multifamily is challenging and multifamily has a lot of things that you have to deal with that are not fun, but there's always some excitement, always something that draws people into multifamily and keeps them there. But there's a concern that that balance is shifting so that people like the, the, the benefit, the, the interesting part of multifamily is no longer outweighing the challenges of multifamily. That's a scary thing. What do you think, Brent? I'm going to just ask your opinion. Do you think that 
Um, and I know we're, we're, we're running short on time, but, um, and this has been great stuff. And, 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 I, and I want you to wrap up with, with your, with any suggestions you have for, for, you know, especially on the corporate side, people that are listening on how to address this, but I'm, I'm curious, do you think the residents in, in multifamily buildings could ultimately be happy engaging with an Alexa type device rather than a person? We is that where we're going? Do you think, Brent? Great question. I think that if it is truly seamless, where I, I think it's challenge. It's it may be impossible to be truly seamless. I was um, we were we were playing like my my in laws and myself were playing on a trip to to Disney, and my mother in law got so fed up with her phone that she literally threw it. She just chucked it right. Because it was so frustrating. Now, that's a trip to Disney and it's all, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. It's very stressful to plan something like that. But, you know, somebody's home is also very stressful, right? Because it's where they live. You know, you don't want things to go wrong. So I, you know, you don't want somebody chucking the Alexa <laughs> because, you know, they're not getting the responses. So I think that there's possibilities. I think that, I think as long as you have fallback options, you know, that if you can get the more real-time answers so that people want, you know, in fact, this actually has a correlation to how I started Multifamily Insiders because I still think that there's a lot of value in going to your local association, learning from people, direct face-to-face, -face, that sort of thing, right? But when I got into the industry, I wanted immediate response. I wanted to go look up the answers and get that, you know, understand the industry without having to wait or go to somewhere else. Same kind of concept, right? Yeah. You want to have that immediacy. Mm -hmm. And so in that respect, having, you know, better technology options has that more immediacy where you don't, where it's a, not only does it um, replace somebody, but is it a better job than a, a physical person does? Um, I do wonder at some point though, you know, will people ever just want to, you know, not need that personal touch? Um, I know that one of the, the, the uh, friction points, I believe, on site is that when somebody moves into the community and going back to what you said as far as people move in because they like the person just as much as they like the community, right? They, they form that bond with that leasing consultant. That leasing consultant eventually leaves. And hardly any communities that I know of have a really good response plan on how to reestablish that relationship with with that resident because i remember when i was you know living on a community at a community i would go for a maintenance request i go in i talk to them and i'd say and my my person was gone right and so my connection with the community was gone now granted now i probably would put all my maintenance requests in and so i wouldn't need that relationship anymore so it's a good question like at some point we just don't need that at all i i really can't, i couldn't say i i don't know what people will end up I'm not a good prognosticator of those types of things. So who knows? <laughs> uh, well, you're 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 the you're the amalgamator of a lot of conventional wisdom here in in the business. So <clears throat> you you have as as good a shot as anyone uh, to tell the tea leaves. Um, all right, it, 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 anything else from that that was to be learned from the survey? Suggestions you have for people that are that are listening today, operators, 
that that you could that you could glean from the the information you guys gathered. Something just came up on Multifamily Insiders, and I apologize, I cannot remember the author's name, uh, but it just came to me that she was talking about um, how many co or having companies do stay interviews, and um, I did a, a LinkedIn poll on it on our on our uh, we have a Multifamily Insiders LinkedIn group, and I haven't gone back to look at those responses, but I think. A lot of people don't do a lot of stay interviews and that might be something they want to do go into and and you know you're doing exit interviews because you want to find out what went wrong but you know why wait you know why not do periodic interviews to and it's not the review the review is fundamentally different than doing a stay interview to understand what they're happy with what you know what the company how, how it's maybe missing the uh um missing the boat on on keeping our, our team members happy and engaged with their company. So uh, I thought that was a wonderful idea. And uh, if you go, you know, if, if people are on this soon, they can just look up uh, multifamilyinsiders.com and it's in the blogs area for uh, some great, great ideas there. Great. I love that. I think also I would add, if you're not surveying your employees on a regular basis, um, there's a lot of great tools now that, to facilitate that. Um, you should do that. You've had Swift Bunny, uh, folks from Swift Bunny, you know, on, on Webinar Wednesday, they do that. Uh, so if you're not surveying your, your employees regularly, you're missing out on these insights. Uh, it's nice to have Brent here to, to do the hard work for you, but you should be asking your own people, um, uh, you know, what's, you know, what's important to them, uh, how they perceive your company culture. Um, so that would be, I guess that that's my suggestion, uh, to arrange this. So, um, well, Brent, all good stuff. Keep up the good work. We can't wait to have you back again uh, to come back for season three and share more wisdom from 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 the collective wisdom that's shared with you guys out there. Thanks, I love doing this. This is fantastic. So we have a, a new research report coming out every couple months. So uh, we have some more data coming in and just kind of uh, the thumb on the community on what people are talking about. There's always interesting discussions going on. So. I love to kind of share what the the community is talking about. All right, so we find you we find you on Facebook where uh, on Multifamily Share Space is our Facebook group, and there's there's a tons of conversations there. It's it's fantastic. Yes, and then we find you on the website where yes, multifamilyinsiders.com, and uh, and we have tons of blog resources, discussion resources. The front page has a has posted on there too. We also, if you go to the files, there's a link at the very top, files, you can get access to that survey report that I was talking about being short-staffed. Um, uh, it's free for anybody who's a member, it's free to become a member. So if you go to the top of the page, there's like files and tools link, go there and you can see we have hundreds of resources available for people. Great. One of the jewels of the industry, Brent, thank you for joining us today. All good stuff. Look forward to next time. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for part two of our lecture here at the Apartment Academy with Professor Brent Williams. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. We appreciate you logging in and listening. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts and you feel like your management company could use a little advice from some of the professors here at the Apartment Academy, then go to our website, apartmentacademy.com, and click Help Me. We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that I guarantee will offer you insights on ways you can immediately improve apartment operations. I hope you took good notes today. The only test you'll take awaits you at the trials and tribulations there at your local leasing office. See you next time.